superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. How different will it look? What can you tell your fans? This is the Rich Eisen Show. We're hoping that the Raiders' defense shows up in a manner that is uh, a little bit more stout. Odell comes out. Oh, Nassif with the sack. I'm really anxious to watch how we play collectively against one of the benchmark teams in this league, the Baltimore Ravens. The Rich Eisen Show. Earlier on the show, NFL Network analyst Daniel Jeremiah. Basketball Hall of Famer Chris Webber. Coming up. Fox Sports College Football Analyst, Bruce Feldman. And now, it's Rich Eisen. All right, everybody. Hour number three of the Rich Eisen Show is on the air. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial. Coming up later this hour, we recount one of the greatest sports stories ever that went down this weekend and got lost amongst the avalanche of football, a... Uh, weekend of uh, pennant race baseball and, of course, a basketball Hall of Fame ceremony that we discussed in full with one of the enshrined members of the current class at the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. Chris Weber was on in hour number two. He also said, look look for that uh, Fab Five reunion coming up. Hopefully. Well, I, was th- I was a little nervous about that, to be honest with you, because um, only Juwan of the Fab Five was there for this and Steve Fisher but he says everything's good they're all five I'm going to get together and I'm going to be there to take a selfie <laughs> you definitely got the yeah. invite so. the super six <laughs> yes um, hour number one we had Daniel Jeremiah on talking about that crazy Monday night finish to week number one crazy Monday night finish to week number one that felt like I traveled to Vegas and had a whole full weekend there that's what it felt like watching that game last night Ran, uh, Rams opened up their new stadium on Sunday night. Felt like a Los Angeles night where it was, uh, you know, a lot of the celebs were out. Oh, yeah. Boisterous fans, new beautiful stadium, Super Bowl's coming. Last night in Las Vegas, it was a total train wreck of a great game. <laughs> Love it. You know, Love like it. a great weekend in Vegas is like, was that the greatest worst weekend of my life or the worst <laughs> great weekend of my life? Like, that's usually the question. We've been talking about this for two hours. All I want to do is go to Vegas now. Okay. It's like watching the Masters. You want to go play golf. All I want to do is play golf. All I want to do is go just destroy myself for I just equated hours. Vegas to the Masters. <laughs> well, there is a correlation. He's coming with me. So it, it also took um, – it's crazy. We weren't even done with the first NFL weekend. We're not even close to the third college football weekend, and USC fired Clay Hilton yesterday. And a man who's been all over this story, his athletic article that uh, was posted on Twitter – uh, in relation to all this, USC's next football coach, Bruce Feldman's candidates to watch, including a Pac-12 foe, is on theathletic.com. And also, you can hit the link on his Twitter feed at Bruce Feldman. Bruce Feldman, Fox Sports and The Athletic, back here in the Rich Eisen Show. How are you, Bruce? Good morning, Rich. Good to talk some football. With you. Same to you. Let's start with the obvious question, why and why now? What do you got for me on that? With All right. So, look, Clay Helton has been on the hot seat at USC really since about 2018. That's a long time. Recruiting has suffered, and they gave him every opportunity. I think they have 
the new, relatively new athletic director, Mike Bone, had uh, kind of really gave him uh, more support, more infrastructure, and, and they thought they'd reshaped his staff. But the reality is the problem is still the product on the field. And they got blown out. They got embarrassed on Saturday night at the Coliseum by a Stanford team that got whooped the week before by K-State. Uh, you had fans block into the exits. From what I'm told, Mike Bone, the AD, was disheartened, borderline disgusted by what he saw as well. And I think come Sunday, he realized it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. And the timetable they looked at was, well, you know what? We have, we're on the road this week against a bad Washington State team. Then we have a pretty mediocre Oregon State team coming back to the Coliseum. And probably none of our fans are going to come show up. Uh, I think they felt like this move, they just realized, because the fans had already realized it, Clay Helton was not going to be able to lead them to the playoff. The team was just underachieving, and they were not happy with the product. It's just that simple. They, it, to me, from everything I've heard, it has been a, a Monday through Friday kind of problem. They do not practice with the physicality or the intensity or have the organization to really develop players and develop this team the way other top programs do. And I think it was, it was enough. They finally said, we got to just rip the Band-Aid off. So um, they did. And is this just also the, the timing also have to do with the fact that the, the contract that Lynn Swan bestowed on Helton as an extension a couple of years ago has finally reached a, a point where they're willing to eat it? What's remaining yeah. on it? Is that it? Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's somewhat manageable now in terms of what he. It's a ten million dollar balloon that they're going to have to pop, as opposed to a couple of years ago when he was really on the hot seat. Um, they were looking at to get rid of him, to get rid of the staff, then to bring somebody else in somewhere close to fifty million dollars that they would have had to be on the hook for. Um, now, what's interesting is. A couple of years ago, a lot of the fans were really clamoring for Urban Meyer. He was out of coaching at that point doing TV. Mm -hmm. And the the reality is, from what I understand, from people I trust, that Carol Folt, the new president who had taken over at USC at the time, was dealing with all sorts of scandal. I'm not just talking about athletic department-wise. I'm talking about university-wise. USC was engulfed in it. And the idea of hiring Urban Meyer, who has baggage, especially – not that far removed from that Zach Smith scandal where Urban uh, got suspended for three games. I don't think he was even somebody they could consider uh, she wanted anything to do with. So that was an unwieldy search process for them. This is more manageable, and it's going to be interesting to see who they target and who is going to want to come up, you know, let's say come across the country. I'm giving away kind of where I think this may go, mm-hmm. but who's going to want to come across the country and potentially take over a USC program that has really been spinning its wheels for a while. Bruce Feldman from The Athletic and Fox Sports here on The Rich Eisen Show. Okay, the who next in USC. Walk me through your thought process and who might be on the radar screen of a former Cincinnati athletic director and what might be informing his decision um, to replace Clay Hilton. Yeah, I mean, an obvious choice would be the guy he hired at Cincinnati, Luke Fickle. He's done a really good job there. They have a top 10 team again. I am not convinced Luke Fickle will want to come. He has six kids. I'm not convinced he will want to move that family to Southern California 
And, and he, everything I've heard is Luke Fickle has a strong Midwestern roots. Obviously, a terrific player at Ohio State. I don't think the Ohio State job is coming open anytime soon. And I had heard he had, he might potentially have some interest in Notre Dame down the road, but that job's probably not coming open. Now, if the Penn State job came open, would he be interested in that? Who knows? But you know, now with the news that Cincinnati is joining the Big 12 that came up last week. Uh, that job has gotten more attractive. Maybe he doesn't need to leave. So I'm not sure that he would be he, he's going to be the answer. Another guy in the Midwest, also an Ohio guy who's done a terrific job, and the name NFL fans know, know a little bit, is Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Terrific coach, uh, has really built that program. They had their best season ever last year, finishing number nine. Um, that, to me, might be a little uh, more, I don't say better fit, but I, I would be less surprised if he were to make the move. Now, again, it, he's had opportunities. and NFL teams that are interested in him. And so he's turned down some good things because he really likes what he has there. So I don't think it's going to – I think it's going to take a lot to get him to leave Ames, Iowa. And then the third guy I would say to really keep an eye on, you know, from that part of the country is James Franklin the Penn State head coach, did a great job at, at Bandy. He's done really well at Penn State. He's been there a long time, Rich. I mean, now, and I'm not saying he's getting stale there or anything, but he has been there for a long time. You could see, anybody who knows James Franklin could see his personality resonating really well in Los Angeles at USC. I think that would play well. Um, he's just got a big presence to him. He is recruited at an extra, exceptionally high level. So, Again, he's a guy I could see USC being very interested in, and I could see at the end of the day him having a lot to think about with it. The kind of a wild card guy to keep an eye on is is Mario Cristobal. He's in the same same conference. He's at Oregon, just had a huge win where they whipped Ohio State in Columbus. He's recruited in Southern California really well. He's got a great situation, and I know he thinks he has a, a – a team that has a chance to win national titles in the next two years on what he's built. So, you know, would he be tempted to leave? I think that's a call that USC may want to at least kick the tires on. So you want to, let's, let's, let's get some real talk here. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Feldman, the athletic and, and Fox sports. What, what, what does USC have going for it? I mean, you know, like there are no sacred cows anymore. There, there really are not. Anymore, you're seeing it in the NBA. You're seeing it in all sorts of sports. You're seeing the historic alliance needing to be formed because of what's down the road with the SEC and what they're all cooking up. Um, what, what what does USC have going for it other than the fact that that's where some great people used to play? I'm, well, I'm being it's honest. Got, it's got three big things going for it that sure. I think make it unique. The yep. first one is there is an insane amount of talent within a two-hour drive of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That is not insignificant. Now, Mario Cristobal has done well recruiting in Southern California, coming from from Eugene, Oregon, where there's just not the same level of talent or nowhere close to it. But it has helped because you had the coach at USC be a lame, basically a, what feels like a lame duck coach for three years. That has made a lot easier for people to recruit talent out of here. It wasn't so easy when Pete Carroll had it going. It honestly wasn't even that easy when Lane Kiffin came in after him. So that's one thing. The other thing is no, no Power 5 school is better positioned compared to the rest of its league to be a top dog than USC is in the Pac-12 
especially in the Pac-12 South. It has different resources. It has it has different tradition. It has a, such a recruiting base. If you're at your alma, your alma mater, if you're at James Franklin School, Penn State, you still got Ohio State in your in your division. You know, even if you're at, at Alabama, you got LSU, you got Texas A&M, you got Georgia right there, not far away. You got Florida. That's a lot of other heavyweights to compete with. You know, what Mario Cristobal has done with Oregon, and certainly they had a ton of success when Chip Kelly was there and then when Mark Helfrich, you know, followed up that. But it's still not quite the same dynamic. So there's that. And then there is that element of, of what you're talking about, the great history they have. And it's been a while since they've been great. But a lot of kids and their families grew up you know, wanting to be Trojans. And I think it's, hard, it's, it's easier to ignite that spark when you have that kind of connection if it's the right head coach there. And so I think people look at that and they see, and also the facilities have been upgraded significantly since the days when Pete Carroll was, was there when they had stuff still kind of outdated from the late 60s. What about Urban? You're already hearing the rumors, and you're already seeing, you know, like Bobby Petrino's name getting thrown around, and that's a reason why Urban probably wouldn't want to do it. Like you get your your butt whipped by the Houston Texans, and then all of a sudden, you're two weeks later, your name's attached to the USC job. I mean, that would not be the way to to dip your toe in the NFL pool. Um, but obviously, you can't get any better of a name than that for college football. So, is there any there there any smoke with that? I don't. I don't think there is. I mean, I, I, like what I just said a bit ago, the, the president didn't want to want anything to do with Urban Meyer a couple of years ago um, because of some, you know, what she perceived as his baggage. I think also with this now, like Urban just is, he's a wildly unpredictable, you know, person in this regard. Like he was the guy who, who retired in Florida and then came back a day later. And he was like, like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of 180s that go on. He feels strongly, incredibly so about something one day, and then an hour later it can change, or a day later it can change. Um, you know, if he is if he is 0 and 9 or or 1 and 11, I could. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he had. Man, I don't need this. The thing is, if he really wanted to be a college head football coach at a at a very attractive situation, he absolutely could have been the Texas head coach last year. The AD there had come after him. There was a lot of talk. They, they really tried to reach out to him. And at that point, I think he's looking at what was the Big 12 and thinking, man, I could, if he wanted to, I could go in there and dominate this league. Uh, he, he, you know, I don't think the NIL aspect was, in, was something that was enticing to him of the direction of college football. But again, now that he's coming off of an NFL experience, Maybe that changes perspective. Who knows? I don't think anybody knows to predict where Urban Meyer's mind is going to be for, with much certainty a month from now or two months from now, especially if, you know, like, I mean, the Houston Texans, no one thought they're going to be very good. And they just, they just, you know, throttled him in the opener. If there's going to be a, two months of that, who knows what he's, where, where his head's going to be at. And then what about um, the timing of this, Bruce Feldman? Uh, because obviously USC doesn't have to make a move right now. I mean, why not sit back, wait, and choose any of the uh, former NFL head coaches going through the uh, Nick Saban career rehabilitation program, including the guy who preceded James Franklin 
in Penn State in, in Bill O'Brien. Why, why not something yeah, I like that? No, that that's a name that like you know it comes up a little bit, and you sit there and think, would that name how how would that play in Los Angeles? How would it play in recruiting? He did a you know he did do a good job. Terrific, in I mean, stability to Penn State. My gosh, Franklin who who basically took them took it to the next level. I don't know. You know, on one sense, I think if USC, because I'm sure he is, he's already had, you know, an impressive start. Everybody who's been the offensive coordinator at Alabama has been wildly successful. So you think, you, so you expect he will be. My guess is if they end up with him as the head coach, and I, this is, I don't want this to come out like I'm, like he's not a, a legit, you know, credible coach. But if they end up with him, I, I suspect there's been some other people who either t- turned it down, weren't mm. interested, or they just didn't think they were a great fit. You know, like the fact that he, he was, you know, had some success as the head coach of the Houston Texans, I, you know, and he has the Bill Belich- Belichick, you know, stamp of approval, and now he's been with Nick Saban. You know, that's all good. I think it's probably you know, relatively safe. If you start getting into like, oh, is it going to be him or, you know, P.J. Fleck? I mean, I would guess, oh, well, you know, Bill O'Brien would probably would probably play better in terms of what USC's fan base would think. But I think if they get to that point, I think there would be a there would be very much a wait and see. And I don't want to say it'd be an underwhelming hire because that's not fair to, to say it that way. But I just think that right now, um. You know, we'll see, we'll see how much interest they get. It's USC, but at the same time, USC has ended up with some very, very suspect uh, hires since Pete Carroll left. So who knows what they're going to end up with. Yeah, how much are they loving this in the uh, athletic department in Westwood right now, Bruce? What do you think? Yeah, it's probably like- not a better time to be a Bruin because, you know, Chip Kelly just beat LSU, and they kind of whipped them when they did it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of enthusiasm and excitement for where they're at. At this point, um, it's quite a 180, and I think if you're honestly, if you're if you're USC, I don't know how you look at this situation and go, yeah, I wouldn't, I would rather have what they have compared to what we have, you know, right now. I'm talking, and, um, Bruce. I'm talking hoops too. I mean, what a year, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, uh, I'm talking hoops too, and I'm talking about what's going on in in football with Chip Kelly. And you know, well, there's a you know the Jordan brand. They've upgraded the Wasserman Centers, where like uh-huh. you know a lot of NFL guys train there in the off season. There's a lot of really positive things that have happened about like you know. I honestly, at this point, like UCLA athletics has become cool again um, because of the Final Four run, and certainly because of the buzz around the football program after that win. It was one win, not like it's been you know. It's not like not it's not like it's been they just won the Pac-12 title, but I think there's a lot of enthusiasm around UCLA in ways that it hasn't been for a long, long time. Because even when they were good with Maurice Jones-Drew, you had Reggie Bush across town. Yep. You know that's not the case right now. Like USC's a mess. This isn't like oh yeah, MJD's and well, he's Maurice Jones at the time, I guess, and he was over there going. But you had USC and 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 what they were doing. Now it's only UCLA that has some buzz. Last one for you. Uh, where are some other hot seats beginning to, to boil, get hotter in college football? Well, where is there? up at LSU. That's a rough start for Ed Ogeron. I think he needs to uh, he needs to get the offense and the offensive line going. There's definitely that. I think there's a lot of 
Um, I think there's a lot of frustration now coming out of Florida State with the way they lost. Mm. I mean, Mike North, I mean, that was just a debacle, the ending of that at Jacksonville State. I still think they probably won't make a move this year and give him a little more time, but I think patience is, is wearing thin. I would expect a lot of coaching changes to happen this offseason. It was a relatively quiet year last year, Rich, and I think right now, especially when you've already seen a few schools already move, UConn has, has come open, now obviously USC. I think there will be some bigger jobs. I would not be surprised. Nick Rolovich has all kinds of issues that he's dealing with at Washington State. You know, stemming from you know what's going on with him and and the vaccine. I think there's a lot of places like that that uh, you're going to see a shift. Who knows? You know, Arizona State has issues with the NCA, but they're dealing with Herm is is definitely uh, I think a a guy who mm. could be in trouble there as well too. You know, I'll just say this in in parting. You know, I, I kind of brought it up when when Norvell was first hired at Florida State, and I know it's a lot of poo pooing about it. I, I think Dion's the perfect guy there, man. If that hot, if that seat's hot, look in this day and age, reaching kids, reaching kids in high school, reaching kids with a cool program and a cool name, wanting to play there, and and then showing off what you want to do with your kids. It does help to have a coach you can call in a Stephen A. Smith anytime, and then win some games. And the buzz that he brings to, you know, uh, the HBCU where he's coaching in Jackson State. I'm telling you, man. I mean, I think Dion's proven that he, he can do this thing. And I understand it's not D1 and it's not Florida State, but I said it before, and I think that's just the, it's inevitable that, that he would have been the perfect hire and maybe a future one. I'll just throw that out there, Bruce. Well, look, I mean, I think the more time he coaches there and the more yeah. – I think the biggest challenge for him is going to be to prove that, you know, how stable is he going to be as a head coach in terms of – what I don't think anybody wants there is it to turn into like kind of a sideshow. Right. And so you've had a few things there. They're a little bit, you know, they don't need that kind of publicity, but obviously the star factor and his, his ability to be in people's homes yeah. and to get into recruits homes, yep. that is a huge thing. No so I think if he surrounds himself with a good staff and an experienced staff, it's going to be interesting to see because certainly there's, there's pressure going to mount on Mike Norvell after last weekend. Bruce, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's talk down the line. Um, and, um, and, and I appreciate the two cents here today. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks, right Bruce. back at you. Bruce Feldman, Fox Sports, The Athletic. Check out his article. He didn't name all the names that are in the article. Check out his article on The Athletic. You know, I'm biased about Prime. But yeah, keep winning. And keep winning in style and keep talking about the kids and keep showing what you're doing. Do you see who was number three in name, image, and likeness money that I saw on the list? His son. Do you see whose name is everywhere in Jackson State? Coach Prime. Right? It's Coach Prime. I, look, man. Coach Prime. And he deserves. He deserves all the respect. You know how I feel about him. The last thing, in terms of anybody how serious he is, and I know he's doing podcasts and he's working on Barstool and people think that's a sign of unseriousness. He might. And he's talking about, like, you know, are you really going to coach? Are you going to be a, a sideshow? He's not. That's been the his whole life has been oh, yeah, being called been a sideshow. Yeah. And then all he does is be a professional and crush it. And then people are surprised. And then people are like, what, what, what is that for? It's a persona. That's what it is. But it's also a persona that is magnetic for everybody. And in this day and age, when you need to have a leg up on reaching somebody, reaching a kid, you need to have a leg up 
on getting your program out there because everybody's trying it. Give this a try. Coach Prime, I'm serious. I'm serious. And I'll just tell this last story before we'll throw it a break about whether he's serious or not. I used to host the selection program for the Pro Football Hall of Fame announcement. Before they announced it in NFL Honors, years ago, they would just call the Hall of Famers up at a press conference at the Super Bowl. They would just go ahead and just announce who's made it at the Super Bowl because the selection of the Pro Bowl, of the Pro Football Hall of Famers, was held on the Saturday before the Super Bowl. The selectors were all in a room and they would come up and announce it. And players who thought that they could get in were in town. <laughs> they were in town just in case they were named. And if they were named, they were going to go and show up at the press conference. And if not, they would go to the airport. The year Warren Moon got in, he was driving around the city where he would either get a call saying you're in the hall and he would go to the press conference. And if he didn't, he would go to the airport. That's what I was told. And the first year we did a Super Bowl coverage at the NFL Network was in Houston. And Barry Sanders and John Elway were getting in. And they were in our green room, which was right outside of the convention hall room that was being used for the press conference. And it gave the NFL Network an idea. Like, they're here that's something that everyone wants to know about as it happens. Let's make a TV show out of it. So I then began to MC the press conference, which was wild. Because I would have to stand up there and vamp while Joe Horrigan of the Hall of Fame I called the guys on Joe the phone. I would do that. I would sit next to Joe. It was wild. Was one of those cool things. It was wild. And I would yeah. then interview one of the Hall of Famers on the phone in front of a press conference of people just sitting there. And they were all the reporters were all like, what the hell is this all about? Why is this now suddenly a song and dance on NFL Network? This was just something I used to sit here, take notes, and it would be over. Because it was a program. Then we would just do away with the press conference. We just did a television show. And one by one, after the Hall of Famers got the call, they would show up at the set that we yep. would created with still the media members in the audience. We turned it into our own show. We got rid of the press conference and the podium and all that stuff. It was me in a chair and four other chairs. And one Hall of Famer would, after another, would join, and then we'd have a panel discussion. One year, it was Dion's turn to go in. And we knew he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. He knew he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Every other person on planet Earth knew he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And we told Dion, you, you know, this is when we're going to have it. He said no. He said no. Why did Deion Sanders say no? Because he was holding a youth football practice yes. at the time. And he was not going to look these kids in the face and say, I'm leaving for my own personal moment. We sent a car for him and he wouldn't get in it. He was livid at even being asked to do this for the network and for the hall. Livid. Because he's not going to look a kid in the face and say, you got to give me your all when I'm now an individual saying, see ya, leave in practice. i got to go take this Hall of Fame individual honor. That's the guy. But then he came at the end and he was wearing his whistle. And he showed, still, and he and he showed up with his whistle. Yeah, whistle yes. and, his, and he was pissed. Yeah. He was pissed. Yeah. He was pissed. I remember, yeah, I remember that. And then finally, I'm like, Dion, you got in the Hall of Fame. Let's, <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's, 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 take a breath. Day, let's get through day. it. Let's get through it. It's a great day. Yeah. And that's the guy like, I don't know. I don't know. It might be about him. Food for thought. 
We'll take a break, come back. This is the greatest sports story I've heard in a long time, and maybe ever. And we not a lot of people are talking about it because it got missed in the avalanche of football. That's coming up. Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs. And the same thing for your partner. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Quiets your snores or your partner's? Sleep Number does that. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The Sleep Number sleep that you get is unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs costs all in before you purchase so all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Seattle is hosting New Orleans in a playoff game. Correct. In Seattle. And we played them earlier. We played them earlier. In the season. So um, it's not uncommon. We played them on Monday Night Football five weeks prior. And now we are back in the divisional round at Seattle. Only it's a little different. We're, we're staying over uh, across the water in Bellevue. And so the first thing in the morning when I get up is I have a waffle you know, the whipped cream, strawberries, and I'm, I'm flipping through the networks trying to get either ESPN or NFL Network. Who's going to give me the forecast? There's NFL Network. I got it. And they're going to these sites where the divisional games are going to be played. And they're talking about, this is sunny here, blah, blah, blah. And then to Seattle, and they and they get to the Seahawks Stadium, and, and I know that it's going to be, and you can see the wind. And... <clears throat> I'm eating my waffle and they pan down on Russell Wilson and Drew Brees throwing a football on the field in their grays. I'm going to tell you where I'm supposed to be at that moment when they're throwing a football. I am supposed to be meeting with the officials, discussing the inactives, all right, and getting ready to say the Lord's Prayer and give our players a pep talk. That's where I'm supposed to be at that moment. I stumble out of the bed. This is my worst nightmare. I know I'm a half an hour away from the stadium. And I'm thinking to myself, national anthem, I'm in my underwear late to the game. Right? 
that's the nightmare that I have. Wow. And I just saw Breeze and Russell Wilson warming up. And I run to the shower, call my assistant, can't get him. The waffle is spilled on the floor. I get back. My assistant says, hey, what's up? And I said, when did the buses leave? No one called. He said, coach, the buses haven't left yet. They had taken B-roll from the Monday night game. Someone in the tape room wow. ran the wrong tape. Can you imagine? <laughs> I text Falk. He's on set with Rich. I said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I had a cow. Like, I'm telling you, you have no idea. We're talking about being like, this is the divisional playoff game, yeah. not being there for the kickoff as the head coach. That's how late I was. <laughs> and Sean, just Marshall showing me the text. We went back and forth. I arrived. <laughs> this guy now is live on the field, and I peek out at the stadium only because of the conditions, and I take a look, and Rich says, good to have Sean Payton here at the stadium on time. <laughs> Just some, some slight comment that, that not one, one person can yes, understand until we tell the story. Amazing. The great Sean Payton, all of his appearances on the Rich Eisen Show on our YouTube stream. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial here on the Rich Eisen Show. This sports story is why we follow sports. It's why we love sports. It's why we root for people. It's belief in self. It is self-made opportunities coming home to roost and making the most of it. That's why we love sports. And it happened over the weekend, or it culminated over the weekend. And, you know, obviously it was talked about. And this person has broken through. But writ large, in the full-on American sports world, um, it, it hasn't been talked about enough, in my mind. Because it involves the world of women's tennis and an 18-year-old girl named Emma Raducanu. She is 18 years old, born in Toronto, Canada, parents of Romanian and Chinese descent, moved to the UK when she was two, and she won the US Open. And to tell her story, this is a 21st century way to tell her story, as we will do on our simulcast here on Peacock and this Rich Eisen Show radio simulcast show. You can tell her story, and we will, through her Twitter timeline. <laughs> Let's start with the first tweet here that happened way back in July, where she said, thanks for the wild card to the Mubadala Silicon Valley Classic. Excited to be part of 50 years of history founded by the legendary Billie Jean King in 1971. She tweeted this out on July 13th, 2021. Now... She had just finished Wimbledon in the fourth round. She um, retired due to uh, a trouble breathing that she had in the fourth round of Wimbledon. And for an 18-year-old to make the fourth round of Wimbledon, one might say, was a big to-do. Yeah. She was the youngest British woman to reach the Wimbledon third round since 2002. And she made the draw for that Grand Slam as a wild card. That was on July 13th. Then she played in a couple of other tournaments to wind up in the U.S. Open where she had to qualify. 
qualify for the United States Open. Three straight wins in qualifiers for the U.S. Open did not drop a set, and that's how she got into the main draw, as she tweeted out in celebratory fashion, on the 27th, 26th, pardon me, of August. Enjoying my first pro U.S. Open is how she showed up there. And then on the 27th, she tweets out, I'm into the main. Not many people were, I don't know, following her Twitter account, but who knew if she's into the main and this is a shot of her getting, uh, I guess one would say her hip flexors worked on, <laughs> which by the way, all it takes is just one swing of the tennis racket for yes, my hip flexors yes. to start barking at me. <laughs> but I'm not an 18-year-old, I'm a 52-year-old. Yes. So she's having fun. Into the main. Okay, that's nice. She's a qualifier. Into the main. Well, round of 128, she beats Stephanie Vugela of Switzerland, two and three, and tweets out on the 31st of August, thanks for making me feel so welcome. Very, very happy to be into R2 round two. Now, I'll tell you this. The shot of her celebrating on a tennis court, that ain't Arthur Ashe. That's what we call an outer court at the U.S. Tennis Center. Okay. Now, on September the 2nd, she tweets out after she beats Shua Zhang of China 2-4 and four in the round of 64. So appreciative to everyone out there for the continued support. A heart emoji. And then R3, an arrow saying soon. A little emoji from the young lady on September 2nd. So now she's into the third round. Qualifier. She's won five straight. Hasn't dropped a set yet. And she's now on the 4th of September tweeting out after a victory over... Sara Soribus Tormo of Spain. Thank you for an amazing atmosphere and helping me into week two of at U.S. Open. Two exclamation points. Means a lot. That, that, that emoji with the, the hearts all around it means love. Or yeah. That was on September 4th, 2021. Lots of love. On September 6th, after she beat United States' own Shelby Rogers 2-1, she tweets out, we were in the last and then the eight ball of at U.S. Open, which now has, it's now deep into the tournament. Now they have the Statue of Liberty right. logo attached to that. Yep. Thank you to everyone for your continued support. <laughs> now that looks like Arthur Ashe. She's now taking selfies with adoring young ladies who she is no doubt inspiring. A qualifier into the round of eight. Nuts. Known as the quarterfinals where she takes on the 11th-seeded Belinda Bencic of Switzerland and beats her 3-4. and four. Tweeting out on September 8th after that, ah, Final Four feeling, I can't believe it. Thank you all. See you out there tomorrow under the lights. Ooh. Yeah, they're realizing there's a star being <laughs> yeah, born, right. and they're going to put her under the lights at Ash. <laughs> yep. Against Maria Sakari of Greece in the semifinals. Takes her out one and four. Hasn't dropped a set. She's now the first qualifier in the history of Grand Slam tennis to make the finals. Tweeting out on the 9th of September. <laughs> that she's pure happiness under the lights in New York. Can't believe it. Now, she's taken a shot of everybody already being gone, and then the other shot is of her making the finals. A qualifier in the finals, and she hasn't dropped a set. 
And who's she taking on in the finals? Another teenager, Layla Fernandez of Canada, who was dynamic and wonderful to follow herself and beats her four and three and tweets out on September 12th, we're taking her home. On the left, holding the Union Jack, and on the right, the U.S. Open trophy. Come on. Started out, hey, I'm at my first Open. Hey, this is so cool. How cool is this? (laughs) How cool is this? That was quite the journey. She didn't drop a set. Making the most of the opportunity. Qualifying. And you know what? I told my kids this. I'm going to get emotional. I told my kids this. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. You don't know how good you are until you try. You might be the best at it and think, I can't. And then you get out there amongst the best and you beat them all. How great is that? It's the greatest sports story that can be told. And then once you try hard and you try your hardest and you believe in yourself and you tell everybody else, I'm me, I'm going to do it, and you do it, then you soak in the trappings. Like getting tweets from the Queen of England. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Tweets from the King of England and all the royalty. Look at at the royal family. Who knew? There's a blue check mark with an avatar of the Queen. The Queen sent a message to her. Wow. And then everybody. That's awesome. Dukes and duchesses start tweeting at her. One after the other. The royal family showing up on Good Morning America here in our country after winning our country's tournament. And then, you know, in many books, the ultimate, last night at the Met Gala. (laughs) That happened to Emma Raducanu, an 18-year-old who less than three weeks ago was who she for most, what can she do with an opportunity and a ticket? Hit the lottery. Chip in a chair. Chip in a chair. You've got a shot. You're a qualifier. What can you do? If you're a qualifier, from now on, you can do what she did. And I can only hope that she gets off of Twitter and doesn't look at all the yeah, garbage right. that might be coming her way as an 18-year-old young lady in this world. You be you. Emma Raducanu. Yeah, I think it was just amazing, was awesome. yeah. and I can't get enough of it. And I love telling her story through her own Twitter timeline, which I think is a very millennial saying, thing for a 52-year-old well, uh, to do. And people are into it, Rich. You said she only had a few thousand a few weeks ago. She's over half a million now followers. Just be careful with that. That's all. Yeah. Congratulations. What a story. I love it. We'll take a break. Your phone calls, and we'll wrap up the show and set up the rest of the week right here on The Rich Eisen Show. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You and your dad watch football, and, and for years this has been going on. It's probably been only been maybe it's just been recently, maybe the last three years. Okay, something like so that. what happens? We sit around, we watch the game, mm-hmm. uh, and whenever they uh, have a uh, a shot of a head coach, the cutaway, the cutaway, mm-hmm. we like to guess mm-hmm. what that individual is like as a stepfather. <laughs> Brockman, who's up first? Who do we have up first here? First up. Alabama head coach, Nick, Nick Saban. Nick Saban. What would, what, taking a look at Nick Saban. Nick is Saban yeah. is the kind of stepfather that regardless of how uh, different he may seem to you, mm-hmm. in every single Christmas card yes. photo, his hair has been the exact same <laughs> since, the, since he married your mother. He's also the kind of stepfather that wears uh, uh, dress pants and then a, you know, a, a white tank top undershirt. <laughs> All the time, <laughs> unless he leaves the house and then he puts on the dress shirt. Ohio State head coach, oh, yeah. Urban Meyer. What sort of stepdad would Urban Meyer be? Urban Meyer is really the kind of stepfather that's just always kind of confused <laughs> and is really can never remember anybody's name. He'll always call Bobby Stevie yes. and Stevie Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. That's Who's not up? Jimmy, Dad. That's... Uh, <laughs> That's Bobby. Whatever. <laughs> Former 49er head coach, current Michigan head coach, oh, Jim no. oh. Harbaugh. Be gentle here. You'd be having a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. You think it's going really great. Mm-hmm. And then he just all of a sudden gets a look on his face and he goes, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and your heart just goes into your throat and you think you've, you, you've said something horribly wrong. And you instantly start thinking about all the things that you could possibly yeah. be getting in trouble sure. for. Do we have Tom Sula? Do we yeah, have we Tom? have a bonus line. Yeah, you got Tom Sula? You I've, got, your oh, this, yeah, I've got what this about, one. What I've about your current Niner head coach? He is the kind of guy that we will be having a conversation with you, and he'll never be looking at you. And uh, he'll be going, how was your day? You got a good day? And you start telling him how your day was. And then he'll always go, hey, honey, what's for dinner? <laughs> No matter what you're talking about, so you can me, be can bearing I, can we your try? soul. Can we try? Yeah, you'd be bearing your soul. Yeah. So uh, hold on a minute. So um, I'll be I'll be your stepson. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how, uh, Richie, how, how was the day? That was great, uh, Dad. Let me tell you about what was going on. Hey, in- honey, have you seen the clicker? <laughs> Where's the clicker? <laughs> I got. Sorry, Richie. No, no. Was I just was telling you about what I was doing in school. Me, me and my friends, we had this great time. Hey, today. did you throw out the paper, honey? <laughs> I, I didn't finish that crossword puzzle. You gotta have a talk with your mother. <laughs> oh, the great Colin Hanks. Oh, man. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, we'll take your phone calls, 844-204-RICH, number to dial. Um, Chris, you got in my ear just a couple minutes I ago, know, and Rich, I can't believe it. Man. Norm MacDonald is, uh, passed away. It's so sad. Yeah, we lost Norm today at age 61. Uh, he'd been battling a oh. very private... Uh, fight with cancer for the last decade, according Ten to Deadline. Years. Yeah, not, I guess not a lot of people knew about it, but uh, we lost Norm McDonald today, one of the best. 
Oh, that's awful. He awful. was he was one of Letterman's favorite comics. He was the last comic that did stand up before Letterman hung him up. Yeah. Like he was he was I think was the, the second la- to last was, segment yeah, of Letterman's yeah. run. I think he was the last guest, right? Yeah, and he was brilliant. 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 One of the best stand-up comics brilliant. ever. And, Absolutely fearless. And, yeah, fearless is a good word. I'll, I'll tell the... This weekend update. Oh. I remember his ESPYs that he hosted. Yeah. And I remember um, running around Radio City Music Hall. You know, I, I just I have a memory of being on like the mezzanine, walking to that side mezzanine stage or, you know, booth where they would put me and Stuart, Dan and Keith did it up there. Dan and Keith always said that. Yeah, like Keith always referred thing. to it like the old Muppets. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, right? And I remember walking to that spot or walking from it. I don't remember. And Norm popped out. Popped out. Like, I was wondering why he was, where he was. It was really weird. And he wanted, he asked me the score of a game because he had money on it. Because he was a, a big, big sports gambler. Big time Huge. Gambler. Huge. Big sports fan, huge sports gambler, yeah. and a funny, funny guy. Fearless. The joke he told that night, I'll tell it. The joke he told that night, Woods, Charles Woodson was in the Charles stands. Was in the audience. He just won the Heisman, and he told him, first defensive player to ever win the Heisman. They would never take it away from you. Pause. Unless you kill your wife and a waiter. And the whole audience was like, whoa. 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 Yeah. And then they cut away to Griff, Ken Griffey. They cut Jr. to Ken Griffey, and he's just like, like what? Wide-eyed, like, what? Why is this camera on me? <laughs> and I, I think the only way to, you know, honor him and his memory and his craft yeah. is to tell a joke that just, like, he <sighs> personified his sense of humor and his fearlessness. So good. So good. I mean, ah, and I'm like, uh, crestfallen. Yeah, that, that one hits. 61. Ugh. I did not know. Ugh. Nor apparently did it, from what I'm reading in the commercial break, his family, friends fans like he kept it to himself let's go uh the phone lines here justin in atlanta you're here on the rich eisen show what's up justin hey rich i appreciate you taking my call sir thanks for making it um i wanted to have two points um one um i appreciate you bringing up emma's story the tennis player yes her story sir is your story who'd have thought a little kid from brooklyn new york Hmm will grow up to be the best broadcaster on television. Ah, uh, you're too kind, man, unless you're Fern and Marv. No, I'm talking about you. <laughs> okay. You're very respected as a former player um, who was never good enough to get interviewed. Um, everybody looks up to you, and everybody respects you. Thank you. Um, that's, that's why it's so easy for you to get guests on your show. Um, Thank you. I want to go. Um, my second point is I was yelling at the TV Mm-hmm. And I should have waited for you to let your guests talk when you were talking about USC. Okay. Because I should have known, because your mind is so great, that you were allowing them to answer the question, and then you hit them with it. You were thinking the same thing that I was thinking. Which is? Players now who are coming from high school want a coach who can make them famous. We're dealing with millennials now. We're dealing with kids who are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And we have coaches that are former players who have a lot of following that their programs are doing fantastic now because kids want to go play for someone that they feel 
can get them to the next level. Deion Sanders, um, Juwan Howard, Penny Hardaway, all of those programs are doing fantastic and they're recruiting. They have kids standing in line trying to get in those schools now. Rich, I have a guy who can be the next head coach for USC. That is. You ready? Sure. He was the number one pick in football. All back right. In 2012. All right. He reti- he retired abruptly. Andrew he Luck. Andrew. Exactly. Uh, Where did Andrew Luck go to college at? Stanford. Exactly. He's a California kid. He can get kids in a seat. And then before you say, well, he's never coached. Well, you might want to look at his bio. (laughs) He's an assistant coach at Summit High School. He has the coaching bug. If they were to get reach out to Andrew Luck, he would take that job. Thanks for recruiting would follow by the droves. What's the number one position in college football? The quarterback position. That's a fascinating. They would get every quarterback in the state of California, bar none. Forget about it. Drop the mic. Thank you for the call. You can drop the the mic as well. That's an. I mean, I I I don't know. We haven't. Nobody's heard from Andrew Luck in a very long time. I. I, It's just an interesting food for thought there. I like it. You know what the the counter recruiting would be. Hasn't done it before, and he quit out of nowhere. Right. Oh, but, but people would have a field day like that. I think he, so. But. Which is patently unfair. Yeah. But the never's done it before is 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 something you hear quite a bit. But you've got to, I, I think you need to overlook it. When you've got somebody who's passionate and knows football very well. It's the commitment to the craft, though. And people think that you need to go pound the pavement everywhere to show that you've been committed to the craft. And sometimes somebody can say, I'm committed to the craft. And Dion's grown, man. How many times did we watch games with him when somebody made a stupid mistake and he would cut say, him. cut him. Cut him. I would cut him before he's back on the sideline. <laughs> cut him. Now, uh, he, so he would say that all the time. He would scream at the he screen. Scream cut, at him. The Just walk off cut him. Cut him. Cut him. Now, that was part of him being a very competitive man because it was costing him the banner in our weekly competition sure, exactly. within right. of picking games. Yeah. But, yeah, he's not cutting players just because they make a silly mistake now. (laughs) Great show. I want to thank uh, Daniel Jeremiah. I want to thank also uh, Bruce Feldman and Chris Weber. That was great. Go to our YouTube stream, uh, youtube.com slash Rich Eisen Show, if you missed any of it. On tomorrow's show, John Lovitz will be on our program. You ask him about Norm, right? Uh, Ken Burns, the, the great documentary director, he's putting his Ken Burns treatment on Muhammad Ali for PBS. And our Gorilla Glue, toughest player on planet Earth. Who is that going to be? It'll be a great reveal. That's on Wednesday. Chat that Tuesday. See you then.